0: The fundamentals of business are never gonna change, whether it's in another country or the fact that technology comes here. There's two ways to operate a business, increase sales or reduce costs. There's three ways to deal with a customer, acquire a new one, upsell a current one, or make one buy more frequently. All these things are going to need to be done in any business you have. sell one thing, sell two things, sell three things. How I mean, how did you start? Did you, you, yeah. just, you just woke up like this? This, no. this, is how,
1: this is how it happened? I started actually in, I had a little apartment and I just started inviting people over and it was so small, it was like one bedroom. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, I agree with you because sometimes having too much money and too much success you make a mistake on a larger scale. The
0: number one yeah. reason why small businesses fail is overfunding. Yeah. That's the one reason. People don't realize that because you know, I like to use this scenario of you wanna open up a cupcake shop because your grandmother made cupcakes and they were amazing. So you go get a hundred thousand dollar loan. You haven't sold one cupcake yet. Right. You open up this beautiful shop. I mean that your staff has cupcake-looking hats. The register's in the shape of a cupcake, right? The, the yeah. couch is in the shape of a cupcake. But then you start to find out that you know, you put, you put the cupcake shop in an area where there's a kid next door in a preschool that has a peanut allergy. They got a they right. square of six miles, right? Every time a kid in your store sells a cupcake, he steals another one, right? Yeah. And you you realize that there was a little old lady in the church about three blocks away who was selling cupcakes like crack for the last 10 years. You now have to close down shop. You have seven years of bad credit. Nobody's talking to you, and you got a shitload of cupcakes in your backyard, yeah. you know? So that's the problem, you know, instead of going out and standing on the corner or Getting a kiosk for a day, or going to a shop that's selling uh, selling uh, some other pro- they're selling great uh, milkshakes, and you ask to put cupcakes in a consignment,
1: you have to sell one. Uh, you yeah. know, going out and raising money for nothing, uh, that kills people. Yeah, it's kind of like you have to go on a date before you get married raising $100,000, or raising a million dollars for a business, you might realize you got married to the wrong person too quick. It's yeah. a shotgun Vegas wedding. Exactly.
0: And by the way, <laughs> don't quit your day job. All right. Yeah. Remember everybody tells you about quitting your day job? Well, listen, I worked at Red Lobster for five years, making $30,000 a, a year uh, while I went home and worked on food. I slept three hours a night, but I made $30,000 a year. That was $150,000 after five years. I had medical. I was taking home all the food that people weren't eating, all the leftover because yeah. I had to feed myself, right? And I had my, my friends who were working in Red Lobster help me sew the shirts and sell the hats. Yeah. I would have had to do $2 million worth of business to bring home that same $150,000 yeah. in FUBU, right? Yeah. So don't quit your day job. All those people that are telling you all that other crap, you need money, quit
1: your day job, and all that other stuff, they're lying to you. They're just trying to sell you an insecurity. Yeah. Joel Salatin, my first mentor, he said he didn't quit his day job till he had one year— Savings. I still go yeah. back and work at Red Lobster sometimes. <laughs> 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 All right, I'd like to see that. I'm going to show up at that Red Lobster. Shrimp Fest. <laughs> Shrimp Fest. You get it, you, the you want food. Butter, sour cream, chives, anything else? Uh, okay, guys. Gotcha. You know what? I'm, I'm not big on Red Lobster. I, I, but You're not. You might what have the hell that. Is wrong with you, man? This is an ambassador. Somebody you know, we said we this is the, the best biscuits. periscope with Damon. He's oh, so smart. One of my ambassadors? There we go. I don't know who it is. Shout out. Someone said, cheers from Venezuela. All right. All right. Let's do this. Third tip. Productivity tip. Because he's from Venezuela. He says, any advice for entrepreneurs in an economy with hyperinflation or we could say a non-US economy, maybe a third world country, not to use the word third world, but what would you do if you weren't in the US? Some countries a little bit less entrepreneur friendly. What's your advice to
0: our global listeners? You know, I don't really know if I can give them that advice. You know, entrepreneurship is not new. We've been bartering and trading since the beginning of time. They, it's just a label on it now. And I don't think whether it's another country, another planet, there's anything going to be different. Yeah. When you have to come out with something, an idea, a product, a service, you have to perfect it with a small group of people. You have to then let that be infectious and, and, and over-delivered to those people. And then you have to grow the business, you know, point yeah. by point. Listen, the, fun, the the reason I'm on Shark Tank is not because, uh, you know, I have this big PhD and all these kind of things, I just have common sense, right? And I come at it with a very everyday man's approach. The fundamentals of business are never gonna change, whether it's in another country or the fact that technology comes here. There's two ways to operate a business, increase sales or reduce costs. There's three ways to deal with a customer, acquire a new one, upsell a current one, or make one buy more frequently. All these things are going to need to be done in any business you have, as yeah. simple as that. So, So listen, there's a lot of people that come over to this great country of ours and they are entrepreneurs and they make it over here and they come and blow up, right? Yeah. Because they were like, man, it was hard over there. This is easy over here. Yeah,
1: yeah, I agree. And I'll tell you, if you look at global wealth, it's not just America anymore, not even close. No way. Okay, Scott Winzinger, number four here. He's just asking you, best advice you ever received from somebody?
0: Money is a great slave, but a horrible master. Hmm. And every time I started to realize that, the meaning of that, and every time I see somebody that opened a business because they wanna be rich, or every time as I was sharing with you, that the friends of mine that we grew up with that are all or in jail because they decided to sell crack when crack came around and I was a kid, uh, learning that they were only just chasing money, that really was the determining factor for most of the people's failures I've ever seen. Because if you're out there doing something for money, you know, you could do something for a year or two years, it's gonna feel like it's forever. Yeah. And as soon as you get the money, you're gonna blow it on a lot of things because you're like, Man, I finally got it right. But the day that you start to do something because of a passion a drive, and you know this solves a problem, and 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 you do it because of a love, you will do that forever. Yeah. You know, like I told you about the five years I worked. That wasn't. I had a great time selling, making my shirts for those five years. That I didn't know it was ever going to be. A thing. Really, honestly, I opened a FUBU in '89. I closed it three times up until 92 because I kept running out of money, like 1000 thousand, two thousand, yeah. three thousand $2,000, 3000 And I didn't get any public recognition really until 97. Really? So that's how long it nine was. was. Nine years. That was nine years. But I was a young kid. I loved hip hop. I was able to go on the video sets and holler at the video girls. You know, I was able to eat at the, you know, the food that was out there. And as soon as they come, <laughs> to, kick yeah, they come to kick me out- benefits. Yeah, as soon as they come to kick me out, the video set, I'd be like, <clears throat> I'm, I'm the one supplying the, the shirts for uh, that. <laughs> that my friend, the rapper, for him? No, yeah. no, for his cousin. I'm supplying the shirt for his cousin on set. I need to stay here pimping. And that's how I stayed <laughs> on it. And I would do that forever. I would have paid to go on the set to look at LL Cool J and all these amazing artists, right? Yeah. You know, so, um, so listen, you're doing something you love, man. It's fascinating, and
1: it's just, it's great. Yeah, one of my mentors said, if you have to take a vacation from your job, you should never go back. That's true. If you have to. It's okay to take a vacation, but if you got that feeling like, I got to get out of here. I've been, you know, two months working. It's not you're not going to make <laughs> it done. in this game. Then it's done. You said you heard 1989 to, to 97 you yeah. had to just kind of work in That's silence. It. That's it, but I but I loved it. I love every minute of it. All right. Let's get one more here and then we'll do a few more. We'll do I want to do a lightning round at the end. But okay, Nick Grover. Number 5 productivity tip. How many hours a week do you recommend somebody w- work? Is that even the right question? No, that's a wrong question. And that's the whole purpose for Rise
0: and Grind. I'm, uh, I'm explaining, because Rise and Grind is a productivity book, right? Because yep. it was at a point where I was already eight, nine years in the Shark Tank, 60 or 80 companies I'm investing in. I got a little two-year-old baby girl at home. I got all my other companies. I have my health and things uh, that I have to wonder about and uh, you know, and, and make sure that I work on. And I started interviewing and or talking to some dear friends of mine, like Captain Zeta-Jones, Santana, and, and other friends you may not know, like my buddy Kyle Maynard, who um, who climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, but he was born with no arms and no legs, and he climbed it with no prosthetics, wow. right? Huh. And I started to say to them, I want to know your productivity tips because the Damon John at 20 is no longer the Damon John at 48. Yeah. I can't put in the work like I've done back then, and you know, mastery is not just something you learn right away and boom, you're a master. You know, when Bruce Lee was still alive at 35, he was a master in kung fu, but at 70, with the same, with with different muscle retention, different speed and different strength, he's gonna have to learn a master to fight a different way. Yeah. Like Ali, when he came out of jail, when they stripped him, he had to learn the rope-a-dope to become more effective to beat George Foreman. So productivity in regards to time is very, very different for each person. We were just on the phone with Grant. Grant Cardone in the book? He'll schedule a meeting for nine oh six because he wants everybody to know how serious he is about time. Right? Yeah. Other people in the book won't send out any, won't answer any emails for the first hour of the day because as soon as you pick up that phone the beginning of the day, you answer emails, you're answering everybody else's goddamn problem. You're taking yeah. care of everybody else's stuff. Instead, like Chris Saka, he looks at his inbox as his uh, uh, defense and his outbox as his offense, so he'll send out as many emails as he wants, but he will not look at anybody else's right. emails for the first hour of the day. So you have to think about productivity as various different things, and in this book, I have to Fifteen subjects show you maybe if you put them all together, a hundred different ways to be productive that fits you. So, productivity, I can't tell you the one out here. Rising, ground, I can't tell you the the one answer to uh, you know for life because honestly, uh, the biggest question that everybody has usually is work-life balance. How do you how do you do it?
2: Hi, I'm Arusha Pires, host of a new podcast called Investing with IBD. Here are a few snippets from the conversations that we're having. Facebook, you know, it's coming back. I was really treating it as a counter trend kind of stock. You have these really fast moving stocks. You want to have a little bit slower moving stocks yeah, also definitely. in your portfolio. What Bill observed after sitting through many market corrections is that the market will come down, but you need to wait a few days and see if there's going to be continued power. And that's where he came up with the follow through day concept. <laughs> One of the most interesting things is, you know, utilities have actually been very, very strong over the last 52 weeks. The work that we've done on yield curve inversion suggests that after the yield curve inverts, over the next year, utility performance is actually not that good. Come join the conversation on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: There's a good book, Everything Store, about Jeff Bezos, who's now the richest man in the world. And he would fire anybody who asked him, what's gonna be my work-life balance? He was like, you're automatically out. Because he said, like you said, obsession. Then you're not thinking that way. But like you said, so let me throw this at you. Um, I'm a big believer that it's not just the hardest worker. It's not just the one who only grinds. The top 10 men in the world have more money than the bottom 3.5 billion combined. So obviously the top 10 people aren't just working harder. I've been, I grew up, you know, I was born in Long Beach. My, my family, my dad's from Harlem. I've seen people working hard, two, three jobs, grinding. Been to India, people working, picking up trash, 14 hours a day, making 20 bucks a month. So what's the balance, not, let's not talk about just work-life balance, but what's the balance between working hard and working smart? What have you found? Like, let's talk about FUBU.
0: I wish I would. I I, I thought I'd set you up for that question, right? Because you're asking me the entire reason I I wrote the book is because, you know, if you look at it, smart people know hard work is what you need to do. We've already established that. But a lot of people are like, "Thank you for telling me hard work is important," but. I need direct and very precise things to do to right. work smarter. Because it's like me saying, go to the park and shoot around and one day you'll get into the NBA. No, you need a coach to show you how to jump higher and move yeah. faster and he's basically read your plays and do everything else that you're doing, right? Um, you know, productive, super productive people are extremely, extremely selfish. They're huh. very selfish in a good way. Okay. The way I like to say it is uh, Michael Jordan, he didn't run around to everybody else's basketball practices. He busted his ass so he could be the best member to the team. Yeah. And as I look at people here, they all said the same thing in his book, but all executed different ways. Like I said, they'll wake up in the morning. They won't give up their sovereignty to everybody else by answering all their stuff. They won't even go on Instagram because you go on Instagram, everybody else is smarter, skinnier, or you know, <laughs> they, they, got a, they got a bigger house, whatever case. The it. You get depression. Of Instagram. Right? They'll start also giving praise and thanks to what they currently have so it puts them in the right mindset instead of thinking about what they don't have mm. they're currently in the moment all the time right they also are putting some form of exercise and adrenaline in their body in the beginning of the day and makes them pro- more productive throughout their entire time they're scheduling time very specifically they schedule time with their loved ones and families because usually That's the only thing we don't schedule. We'll get to you later, honey. We'll get to you later. The kids, before you know it, the kids are 25 years old and they're out of the house, but yet we'll schedule the time to be on the train, the time to be at the office, the time to meet friends for the 8.30 dinner, and we'll never schedule time with our family. And the most important thing they do is they do some form of meditation and or goal setting. They go to a dark place, they find out who they are, and they look and they say, is that the way I want my obituary to read? Am I living the life that I want my obituary to read? What do I want? Like me. I have 10 goals. Seven of them expire in six months and the other three expire in five years, 10 years, and 20 years. And I read them every night before I go to bed because it's the last thing I think about when I'm sleeping. And I, and I read them every morning when I wake up because I take one action towards one of those goals. They're very, very focused about the goals that they want in life. And you'll see in here that there's different ways to do that. Other people write goals in A and B, have to, would like to. This way, the goals are not overwhelming. Right. And then they start knocking these down and maybe they'll get to these Mm -hmm. and another person in the book says hey i write all the things i love in life and all the things i hate to do and what i do is the things i hate to do i try to outsource it and or get rid of the people that are making me hate it and i find myself moving towards the things that i love so those are the keys to being able to really work hard and smart because if you do all that you're going to take the proper steps you are going to surround yourself with the right people Find the right mentors. You're going to do your homework on the situation and try to solve it at the easiest and fastest way to then take those uh, small, affordable steps. So those are all the type of things that people do that work very, very hard and are productive.
1: Yeah. I like the one that you said about the two lists, the A and the B, because sometimes people's goal list It's like 300 things. And I'm like, you're not gonna get, you're not gonna pull off 300 things. You suffer
0: from analysis paralysis after that. You always are trying to get out of the gate. You're like trying to do double-judge, but you never jump into the the ropes. Yeah,
1: Yeah, so much of life is just jumping in. (laughs) All right, let's take, we got a few more minutes and we gotta head out. Let's see here, where are we not? Oh, we haven't gone to YouTube. Someone says, greetings from Serbia. Uh, What's up? (laughs) You know, one thing that I saw, Zach, you wanted me to ask that. Let me ask that question now. So let's talk about dyslexia. Yeah. So you had an obstacle, how do you overcome how do you
0: overcome it? Well, first of all, I didn't know I was dyslexic. For a long period of time. All right. But I am dyslexic. And um, I think dyslexia it was is is one of the gifts that I've been given to help me become an entrepreneur because I would have to read books two and three times, like I read Think and Grow Rich, uh, probably now 15 times, because it's probably the most effective book that I've ever read in my life. Um, that, that it helped me. I uh, also, when I because being dyslexic, I would go out and try to do things that I read because I didn't know if I retained it properly. So I would it would it would make me take action mm. and it was my cheat when I was in school when I was in school in high school They had a class that said you can work for one every alternate week. You can you can work and get credit So the last thing I wanted to do was obviously be challenged with the schoolwork So I started working. Yeah, um, and and it allowed me to do that and you know, I, I just I just think that being dyslexic is a uh, is uh, is someone a gift? I mean, if you look at the twelve sharks, you know, because if you add the guest sharks together, out of twelve of us, eight of us are dyslexic. Really? Yeah. Huh? You
1: yeah. Know? It's not always what you think. I, I've come to the conclusion that a lot of stuff, Harvard MBA, all this, there's a lot of BS out there. When it comes to actually being an entrepreneur, you do need some smarts, but you need mm-hmm. a lot of street smarts, and street smarts don't have anything to do with the things that modern day school measures
0: for Yeah, you need common sense. You need to be able to take action. You need to question the system and question everything. You know, listen, when I was growing up and I looked at all these people, these bright names, like Henry Ford and all these people out there and and seeing everything in my neighborhood that I was consuming, I was saying to myself, well, what makes them smarter than me? Why can't I do this? You know, like, well, I, I think I can do this and I tried to do it. Yeah. You know, other people just get intimidated by all these other things. Everything is so grand to them. It's not. Everybody puts their pants on the same exact way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When I, that's like, like, I grew up playing basketball, and then the first time I ever. You were playing basketball? Yeah, I played in North Carolina. I told you? A little. Not tall I, enough you know, to play what, throw, that's bro, basketball. That's what I'm saying, baby. Like, you know what I'm saying? Hey, you ain't let them play that. What, is, man. what does Rome say? It's not the size of the. Dog, it's the... What's the, what's the say? It's the size of the fight and the dog yeah, or whatever the case something. is. But uh,
0: they, it, also, it, they it. also say if you're really short, don't try to play basketball in that same saying. <laughs> I'm short, man. I'm short,
1: baby. You know what I mean? I'm vertically challenged. So, my, so here's... I'm glad you talk about that. So I was out here yesterday and Armin's over here and Armin's about six foot two. And Armin was struggling to touch the net. You remember this, Arvin? No. And, I, and when, I, when I played in high school, so I played at one of the, the top schools in the US, Enloe, in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And we had a guy on my team. Enloe? Yeah. My Enloe. kids went to Enloe, I think. Yeah. And Raleigh? Yeah, Raleigh. Yeah. yeah. So I went. John Walls from my league, all that stuff. So there was a guy on my team who was the shortest guy, shorter than me, mm-hmm. he was five foot five. And he was a starting guard on. on we had you know, all Americans on our team. And he could dunk. Five foot five and he could dunk? Five foot five and he could dunk. That's great. And I, and I and then there was a guy, my stepdad was is really tall. He's six foot seven. So we went to our first basketball game, pro basketball game, sat way up in the rafters, and Muggsy Bogues was there. You know mm-hmm. Muggsy uh-huh. Bogues is five foot three and a half. He's shorter than you, Maya, and he played pro basketball. <laughs> and the same, but this is what was funny. It was the Hornets versus Philadelphia, and on Philadelphia there was a player named Manute Ball. I know Manute. He was 7'7". hmm 7'7". And so, my stepdad had never been to a basketball game. We, had, we were so high up, we had binoculars. And my stepdad goes, I'll never forget, he tapped me. He goes, look at this guy. He must be 11 feet tall.
2: Come join the conversation on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.